Welcome back to Leads to Scale, a podcast from Social Media Week. I am your host, Toby Daniels. After a two-week hiatus, we're back. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing this week's conversation with my good friend, Eric Edge, who is the SVP of Marketing and Communications at Postmates. I've known Eric for the best part of eight years, and uh, we met during the early days of Social Media Week when uh, when he was working as the Chief Communications Officer at Havas. Since then, I've had the pleasure of watching him take on a number of really exciting and senior roles at organizations like Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, before landing his latest job at Postmates. During the conversation, we discussed what attracted him to his latest role, how he sees the on-demand space evolving, how they view competition, and how, as an organization, they continue to innovate. We also spent some time discussing broader industry trends and what he thinks the big tech platforms need to do to regain consumers' trust. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Leads to Scale on your favorite podcasting app, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So uh, as a way of our listeners getting to know the real Eric Edge, uh, one of the things that I thought would be good is to go back over the chronology of your career to date. Now, I believe we've known each other for... I think it's like eight plus years. And I, and I think we met when I was doing the agency rounds, like in the very early days of, of Social Media Week. I think you were the chief communications officer at, um, well, it's Havas now, but formerly EuroRCG. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It's been a long time. It certainly has. Um, and from what I remember, you were one of the youngest executives in the C-suite at the time. And, and obviously, you know, since then, and when I look at kind of like the arc of your career to date, you've, you've carved out a, a pretty fascinating career. You've worked for some of the most exciting and fastest growing and, you know, most successful companies in the world, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and, and now Postmates. When, when you sort of, you know, think back and, you know, over the last like decade or so, and, and, and when you sort of reflect on your career today, what, what would you say has been sort of a consistent through line? It's interesting to think back on it because while today in retrospect, we can look and say that these were some of the most successful companies out there, that wasn't the case at the time. And so the first decade of my career was in the agency world. And I, I, I was at United Airlines initially, and then, and then after September 11th, made the jump into advertising. And what was interesting about that is it was at a time when the rules of the game were totally changing. And I remember early on in the agency world, learning the ins and outs of how a creative agency works, learning about media agencies and how and why they were decoupled from creative agencies and what their role was uh, at the time, which was, which was very different than what it was now. And so I was learning the basics, I would say, of, 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 of ad agency life. And at the same time, the rules of the road were changing. Digital was starting to take route. I remember... I remember sitting at the agency and making my first Facebook account. And that's when Facebook was only open to colleges and a handful of corporations. 
And I remember doing that and thinking something, something's changing here, right? There, there, was, there was LiveJournal and Friendster before that. And there, there were things happening where people wanted to have a platform to both connect with the world, but also communicate with the world. And so I found that a really fascinating place to be. I found it a fascinating place to be in agencies. I also found it a fascinating place to be in my career because as I started to think about what I was going to do next, um, I realized that communications in the agency world was super important, but that it required sort of an evolved thinking, I would say. And so that first decade was really learning about that. And, and as I got to the end of that, that those 10 years in, in agency life, what I realized was that the world has changed. And, and it, was, it was early on, but, but again, all of, all of that change was happening. And I made, I made, I made the choice at, at that time to jump out of agency life and get into uh, social media and technology. And that's when I went over to Facebook. So, yeah, you, you mentioned I was I was I was I was one of the youngest, probably the youngest actually, um, uh, a C C level employees at, in the agency world. And I think that allowed me to think a bit differently about how we're approaching the business, both when I was at Havas and Euro, and then and then when I made the jump into tech. Well, let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. Like what, what after like a decade at agencies and, and learning the ropes, you know, what, what, what was your mindset? I mean, what, what, what had you really sort of developed in terms of a point of view around the role of communications kind of like, you know, in the agency space specifically? And then I suppose subsequently how that, that point of view could then be applied to, you know, the, the world of platforms. Yeah, what was what was apparent to me was that the way that we approach communications in general needed to evolve. There was the, the, the old school way of doing things in even in the agency world, the old school way of doing things was you decide on on a message and you sort of broadcast that out through whatever means possible, whether that's a 30 second spot or whether that was a press release on the comm side. And what I what I what I started to realize was that people actually are going to be much more a part of this process. And today that sounds just, it sounds so obvious and we know it and we live it every single day. But at the time, mobile wasn't huge. At the time, social was, was, was non-existent. And everything that we have today uh, was not there and, 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 and was just budding. And so what I realized was that people actually needed to think about the way they communicate in a different way because the consumer, the customer, is going to be involved in ways that they never had before. And that was probably the biggest realization that I had. What I also realized was that many agencies were just not able to adapt and move quick enough. And I think that, again, in retrospect, we see that playing out over this past decade. But agencies weren't able to evolve because they were working off a model that worked very, very well for them for a long time. You had, you had agencies like RGA who were breaking the mold. Then you, know, you had the, the, the Drogas and the Crispins coming out and doing things that were just a little bit almost stunty in nature uh, mm -hmm. when you think back to them. But they, they were doing that because they were, they were, they were creating a real connection um, and involving the consumer and the customer in the way that they, they operate. And that, that was very different and very revolutionary for the time. And when I saw that, I realized, you know what, there's something going on here. And I think I can bring all of the goodness and all of the relationships that I have in the advertising industry and bring those into technology. 
because the second part of this realization that I had was that platforms like Facebook needed to have people who grew up not in the tech world and not in Silicon Valley, but that grew up in the advertising world to bridge that gap between what tech was building at the time and what advertising had done for decades. And in many ways, that that defines kind of like the part two of your career, right? Once you took that sort of insight and the learning and experience of, of working within a more sort of traditional agency world and applying it to these incredibly like, you know, uh, uh, high growth businesses that, you know, while growing very quickly and having enormous amount of success were, you know, in, it's still in their infancy, infancy and operating you know, very nascently, particularly when it comes to how they engage and interact and, and communicate with the industry at large. T t tell us about like what that experience was like when you when you left Euro and joined Facebook, because being the youngest guy at an agency, I can imagine how you can kind of stand out as like, you know, the young gun who's sort of like, you know, operating disruptively and everyone's looking to for kind of like cool new ideas and then going to Facebook where, Essentially, that's a business that's just like built on on that type of of um, uh, on that type of person. So, what was it like making that shift and joining Facebook? Was it a culture shock? Yeah, it was. It was very different. It was very very different. Um, I remember at the time David Jones, who was the global CEO of Havas at the time, um, and my boss. I remember sitting down with David Jones whenever I, I I was talking to him about making the move to Facebook, and he he looked at me and he said, Eric, he said I. I wouldn't be supportive of you leaving for any other company in the world, but Facebook is the place where I think you're going to drive real change. And he said, that's the one place that I can't argue with you leaving. There's nothing I can do to keep you here because Facebook is exactly where you should be because that's the future. And he's, he was, he was totally supportive. And then what was interesting about that is when I, when I made that jump over, there, there was a bit of a culture shock because it was, it's a different, it's a totally different mentality. Um, Facebook had that, the mantra, move fast and break things. I know we've all seen that again, in retrospect, it sounds like something that's so obvious, but at the time it was a mantra that, that everyone lived by. And so to your point, there were a lot of people doing a lot of great things, but what was really amazing about it is that you had the ownership and the runway to make those things happen. And I think just based on, 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 on the agency world where the agencies were at, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a bit more of a beast. It's a, it's, a, it's a much larger ship to turn. And at the time, you know, a startup and a, and a, and a, a pre-IPO startup like Facebook at the time was somewhere where you could, you could move quickly and drive impact. And I, I found that super interesting. I also found it a bit of an adjustment because I had to, I, I was one of many people who were doing one of many things that would ultimately culminate in what is Facebook today. Well, it seems to me that your move is, you know, get in sort of like, you know, relatively early, certainly at a point at which the company is going through massive amounts of growth and change and adjustment and looking to engage with sort of like, you know, the industry at large, as I mentioned before, but, but at that kind of sort of pre IPO stage, I mean, I, I know, you, you know, spent a, a bit of time at Facebook. I know you moved to the UK. I know you joined the Instagram team and then you left Facebook and Instagram and decided to go to Pinterest, obviously, you know, during that, that pre sort of IPO sort of period. And, you know, during a period of, of extraordinary change and, and growth. So what, what, what was the decision ultimately to join Pinterest? driven by and, and what was that experience like 
the one thing that you just mentioned was that I, I, I've, I've gone in to each of these companies um, at a point when, when they are in an evolution themselves. And so Facebook was there early on when I was there. When I came back from the, you mentioned I went to the UK to start the marketing function and, and, and launch and expand marketing for Facebook across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. I spent two years there doing that. And, you know, the team there was, you know, a few dozen people. And that was, that was amazing because you had this, this, this company that was in a much more, uh, much more, um, Facebook in the U.S. at the time was much more rooted in, in relationships with the industry. And in the U.K., it was just budding. Right. And and so they're, they're, the two years there was really building that out and, and trying to set the rules of the road and defining the playbooks that you need to succeed. I did that. I came back to the U.S. Um, and joined Instagram. And that was when we launched monetization on Instagram. So ads didn't exist yet on the platform and they were just rolling out as I came back. And so, again, there weren't there weren't there weren't rules of the road. We didn't know exactly how this would work. We wanted to test this out with users. We wanted to create a good user experience. And at the same time, we wanted to create value for advertisers. And so it was all new. And that was something that was fascinating to me. I did that for a while. You fast forward and, and Instagram was becoming much more a part of the Facebook buying model on the ad side. And so I felt like we got it to a really solid place where there was great success. And that's when I made the jump over to Pinterest. And when I went over to Pinterest, it was deja vu. It was a company that was um, had, a, had a very early ads platform that was just really just starting to engage and scale with the ads community. It was a place that um, was in the midst of defining its messaging and its story. And so I got all of the goodness that I had earlier on in my career of storytelling and you know, creating the playbook and defining the rules and building teams. And that, those were all things that I loved doing. And that's what, that's what drove me to Pinterest. And then actually, ultimately, that's also what drove me to Postmates. So, so many of those things, building a team, scaling a team, being part of the executive team that's, that's defining where the company is headed and doing that at a place where the company is in an important um, life stage or evolution is something that I'm, I'm very attracted to. And it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I ended up here. But as you said, it's actually why I've gone to each company that I have throughout my career. I've, I've always I've always had like a, a ton of respect for people like you who can see the opportunity early um, and obviously also have respect for people who know how to back a, a back a winning horse that obviously helps but 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 even more importantly I, I, I have respect for the fact that you also know when to leave and move on and 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 in many ways it's it's almost to anyone looking from the outside it almost feels um counterintuitive to be like leaving these companies when you do um but i i do know because you and i have spent time talking about it that that the timing is is really important for you in terms of the evolution of your own career and and, and ultimately what you want to be focusing on and what you want to do next yeah i you know it's funny i don't yeah, yeah, I appreciate all of that. And you and I, you and I have talked about this many times. I don't think that I had the, this wasn't something that was obvious or predictable, meaning any of the, any of the places that I have gone, they were not a guaranteed win. 
But what I do realize is that there are points whenever you do things within a, an organization and whenever you've achieved things within, within an organization where you feel like you've driven the most impact or, or you feel like you've, 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 you've done something really great for that organization and you're happy with where you could leave it. And I felt like I got to that place at every one of the companies that we've talked about. You know, the, the, the odd thing about it is that it, you're right. It, there is, some of this may seem counterintuitive, um, but, but if you really think about what, what do you enjoy doing every day? What do you enjoy doing within organizations? How do you enjoy growing them? There's no formula for when you should or shouldn't go. You just have to be really honest with yourself about when it's time. And I think that there's, there's, there's a couple different tracks you can take. Right? You could stay somewhere forever. And, you know, there's people who still do that and have been with, you know, an organization for 20, 30 years. Um, I wouldn't say that's the norm anymore. But then there's others um, where, you know, the goal is not to be jumpy and, 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 and do a little bit and jump. It's actually to do something, make something meaningful, feel like you've driven impact take those learnings and say, how else can I apply these in my life and in my career? And I feel like that's what I've, that's what I focused on. And that's what I've done. We interrupt this week's episode of Leads to Scale to share an update in regards to our forthcoming conference in London, the 10th annual edition of Social Media Week London. Europe's premier conference for media and marketing professionals is taking place at the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster between October 31st and November 1st. This year's event will continue the 2019 global theme stories with great influence comes great responsibility, a conversation that will explore how social media has become the most influential story platform in the world that has the power to both unite and divide us. Check out our first wave of speakers and secure your pass by visiting socialmediaweek.org forward slash London. And don't forget to use the code leads number two scale at the checkout to save an additional 10% off your pass. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's, talk, let's spend some time talking about Postmates then. So you're relatively new to the role. Um, what attracted to you to them specifically? What is it about the on-demand space and what Postmates is doing specifically that was so compelling for you? I, the on-demand space is in its infancy. And that to me is super interesting when you look at a category, right? If you think about Facebook and social, social was in its infancy when I joined. I draw so many similarities to where um, that, that industry was when I joined and where on-demand is today. There's a lot of goodness. There's a lot of skill. There's a lot of, of great things happening in this space, but it's still in its infancy. Um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the food, the, the food industry in the U.S. is, is, is the penetration is very low. It's something like 6% when you look at online and internet penetration to the food space. That's, that's tiny. And that means there's so much potential. And so when I looked at the different categories of where I might want to go, this was one that really stood out. When I, when I looked then at, the, at, that, at this category, what I, what I realized was that Postmates has a brand and has built a brand that is a verb in pop culture, right? You, you hear people saying, let's Postmate dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. um, it's a brand that was created in a thoughtful way that was growth was done in a meaningful and thoughtful way. Um, it was a, a brand that had so much potential as you think about scaling the brand, um, yet 
it lived within a category that was in its infancy. And those are those are things that that combination made it very appealing to me. And it was a it was a it was a perfect choice to jump over and actually start to build a lot of the stuff we just talked about here at Postmates. I mean, it was what founded back in 2011 and has obviously scaled um, significantly since then. I mean, it's it's you know quickly emerged as one of the top, um, s- certainly most successful food delivery startups. I mean, you can't really call it a startup anymore now that it's been around for six, seven years. But all of that has happened in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, you know, it, it was. Um, in a fairly short amount of time covering more than half of U.S. households in regards to kind of food delivery. And I think now it's scaled to more than 400 cities in the U.S. and 3,500 cities worldwide. Am I all right in saying that? Yeah, so, so, so yeah, Postmates is now, so th- this, is, this is the crazy part, Postmates is now in more than 3,500 cities in the U.S. Um, as well as Mexico City. Uh, we have 500,000 merchants on the platform, which is more than two times the selection of any platform out there in the U.S. Um, we have, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of fleet that, that deliver for us every every quarter. So, so the scale is there. And, uh, you know, when we think about the 3,500 cities that we operate in in the U.S., that covers more than 70% of U.S. households. So to your point, people all across the U.S. now have access to something that they didn't have before. And that's really where Postmates was founded. You know, Postmates was the pioneer. They created this space in the U.S. There was no solution for getting the best of your city, your favorite merchants, your favorite restaurants, your favorite retailers on demand when Postmates came into the mix and created this space. And to your point, that was six, seven years ago. They've now over over time, Postmates has evolved, and now we're at a place where we have this leading pop culture brand. Right? We we are number one in Los Angeles and across the Southwest. We are in cities that are the largest food markets outside of New York. Um, those are places that are are those are those are points that are super interesting for me as I think about where I want to build and continue to build a brand next, and 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 that's that's sort of what attracted me. Postmates. Right. Let's talk about what's driven the success or or, or the growth and and what's enabled you to scale as as quickly as you have, because there are obviously a number of kind of factors at play. I mean, being first is is helpful, but not necessarily a kind of guarantee for success. Um, Obviously, there have been some fundamental and, and hugely important technological sort of changes and innovations that have made it obviously much easier for a company like Postmates to, um, you know, to, to reach and engage consumers, um, you know, in this like new sort of on-demand um, type of sort of delivery experience. Um, but I imagine there are like just tons of other factors that, that a lot of people might be completely like unfamiliar with in specific to, to Postmates. So what, what are some of the other factors when you when you, you're new to the company, you're new to the role, but I, I imagine you've really dug in and you've really got a, a deeper understanding of kind of the origin story and, and what's happened over the course of the last six, seven years. So what, what do you think has driven the success and, and enabled you to scale in the way that you have? I'd say there's a couple things. First is that when you think about where we were six or seven years ago as the pioneer in this space, consumer behavior was just was just 
clicking on to the fact that they now had access to get anything they wanted on demand. That wasn't, that wasn't in the psyche, right? If you, if you think back to even where we were uh, you know, a handful of years ago, if you and I were having a conversation about dinner and we said, what do we want to order? Well, the only options we had were, you know, maybe, maybe Domino's and, mm. um, you know, maybe a, a, a restaurant down the street. Now, you, New York was a little bit different, but maybe a restaurant down the street. And for most places, you had to look and see, are you within a delivery area? Remember that. Mm. So, so I would say that, one, the, the, the consumer behavior was just turning on to the fact that this was something that was possible. Um, enter Postmates, and when we start to talk about what we could do and what we could bring to these consumers within their cities, people started to turn on to that and say, oh, you know what, I now have access to something I didn't before. And that consumer behavior took some time, I would say, to, to scale and grow, to get to where we are today. So that's one. The second is, 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 is the merchant selection. And so if you think about consumer behavior first, and our do people want something? Do they expect something? Do they expect to be able to get whatever they want on demand, which I, I'd say most people today have some level of expectation of that. Um, then the next question is, is, are all of their favorite merchants that they would want to order from on the platform? And, and, then you have to, and, and then you have to ask yourself, if they are, great, then do we have the infrastructure, logistics infrastructure, fleet, and the efficiency within that fleet so that we can deliver whatever it is that you want whenever you want it and within a reasonable amount of time, you know, within 30 minutes or so. And so all of those pieces have to come together for this recipe to actually, to actually play out. And, and I think that's what the focus has been over the past six or seven years is that let's bring all of those pieces together. Let's make sure they're all right. And let's scale those across, across the, the, the country so that people can have access to this new world of on-demand. I think what's been interesting about the on-demand space and, and, you know, in part led by Postmates, but there are plenty of other um, companies out there that are either, you know, competing with and operating the same space or, or just doing something different. But what's exciting is 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 looking at the, um, the, the way that behavior changes, um, not necessarily always driven by... Um, Postmates and its offering or, or whatever new kind of features and services that you might be able to provide, but also driven by the fact that consumer demand sometimes can kind of dictate what you do next, right? Particularly as consumers get it into their heads that, wait, hang on a second, I can literally just order anything? Well, what about this? And there's something that like they can't currently get on demand that all of a sudden now Postmates is looking at and thinking, okay, well, how do we make that happen? What, can you, you sort of like speak to that a little bit in terms of what have been some of the kind of most exciting or interesting sort of newer things that people have been able to get on demand that, that previously uh, was impossible? Sure. Well, so previously it was just, you know, again, again, a pizza place or, or, or maybe one or two restaurants down the street and that was it. Now you can get access to anything, right? If I need a new charger for my, my MacBook, um, I can have that within the hour uh, on demand, right? If um, I need a medicine for my kids uh, from, 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 you know, Walgreens, I can get that or CVS, I could get that within minutes on demand. Um, that, that wasn't available before. And I think that as, as, as consumers start to, and, and they are, as they start to realize that there are more and more use cases um, for driving convenience for their life, 
then they realize the full potential that you can get out of a platform like Postmates. But I also think outside of any one category, there's also things that we're doing where we are innovating and leading and we're at the forefront of innovation when you think about other ways to use the platform. So I'll give you two examples of that. The first is Postmates Unlimited. So Postmates Unlimited is our subscription service, similar to Amazon Prime. Um, and so what you see is that we realize people are actually using Postmates so often for so many things. Why not create a, a, a membership program where they could be a member? They will get uh, free delivery as part of that membership uh, for, you know, for, for as much as they want. And why not, why not create something that would create a benefit for them? And, and so we created that program and we're the leading platform to do that, the first platform to do that. The second area of innovation is within product. And one of the products that we've launched recently is called Postmates Party. The insight for Postmates Party was that we know people are ordering from a lot of the same restaurants within any one neighborhood. And so we created a product that allows people to go into the app, go to the party tab, and see what restaurants are trending in the areas around them. And what that means is they could go into those restaurants, order their favorite meal, and join forces with people around them to share a delivery and ultimately get free delivery because we pass the cost savings back to the customer, get free delivery on their order. And that's an example of how we take consumer insight and, and customer behavior and pair that with product innovation to deliver a really amazing customer experience. So I want to ask a question about competition because it's obviously, it's pretty busy out there. I mean, you know, you've, you've mentioned Postmates been around for seven years. It pioneered the space. It kind of created a, a new sort of user behavior. But there's been plenty of competition and plenty of, of, of companies, you know, particularly like, you know, Grubhub, obviously, and has been around for a long time in, in the food delivery sort of space. And obviously, Uber Eats is a challenger to, to at least one aspect of what Postmates does. Um, and obviously, there's also competition internationally. I mean, there's some, some brands out there that have really established strong footholds in their respective native markets. And so, you know, it must be a challenge for you, particularly as you think about brand, as you think about communications, to, to, dif you know, to create like a differentiated offering or to think about how to differentiate the offering, offering from a communication standpoint. Like, what, what do you feel when you think about that? What do you think is different about Postmates? And, and, and particularly, obviously, when you compare yourselves to the competition? When I think about the brand that we cre we've created, we are a the only on-demand company in this space that has developed a lifestyle brand. And because we've been around for the past six, seven years, we've been able to do that over time in a way that is true, that is honest, and that is aligned to consumer behavior. If you think about where Postmates intersects pop culture, I mentioned this earlier, you know, you, you're, you, you hear people calling, um, using Postmates as a verb. Mm. You see Postmates popping up in TV shows, in uh, day, day shows, night shows, right? You, you see Postmates being referenced on Netflix shows. All of a sudden, not only are we a part of people's everyday lives, but we've, we've infiltrated pop culture so much as a brand that we are actually being written into the scripts for TV and movie. And that doesn't come with a price tag, meaning you can't buy your way into that. I think as you think about you know, another reality of customer behavior and consumers today is that they want honest, true, uh, aligned brands 
that they see in their favorite programming and TV shows. And so that's something that we have earned our way into and that we continue to build on as a brand. And we're the only one that's doing that. And so when you think about the differentiators between the product differentiators I mentioned earlier, having the most selection out of any, any platform out there when it comes to our merchants, but then combine that with the power that we've created and being a true lifestyle brand that's solving for convenience and solving for challenges that people may have, um, that's something that co combined is a really powerful differentiator for Postmates. So like as, as like the head of brand and communications, like what are your priorities for this year? I mean, you're six months into the role. Like when you think about the rest of 2019 into 2020, what, what are your major priorities? My priority is to continue to differentiate Postmates as the leading player in the space. If you think about everything we've talked about over the past half hour or so, um, these are all my priorities. I want to make sure that people know and understand what our products are, why they're unique, and why there is a benefit to them for these products. I want to make sure that c customers understand the power of our merchants and understand how great it is to be able to order their favorite, favorite food, favorite, favorite items, right? anything they want on, on a platform, on our platform. And I also want to continue to differentiate our brand. And so as I think about my priorities, they really align with everything we've talked about today because those are the core areas of our business that are, that are most important to me. Right. So a, cu a couple more questions before we wrap. So, um, you know, stepping out of, of your role at, at Postmates for a second and, and just sort of thinking about the last 10 years of our industry and, and how things have evolved. Um, and, and I guess this question also speaks to the fact that you were at sort of Facebook and Instagram and, and you know, had this sort of that, that experience kind of on the inside. But, you know, br more broadly speaking, when we think about kind of tech, we think about the platforms, Facebook, Google, Twitter and the others. You know, many of them are under fire right now due to a number of different issues to do with like data and privacy and issues to do with like a misalignment between kind of, you know, business models and the interests of their users, et cetera. And, and rather than necessarily getting into to, to the weeds of that, um, I'm just sort of curious to, to get, get your thoughts on, on you know, where, where, where do you think we are at as an industry? And what do you think about when you think about the tech platforms and where they're at right now and what they need to do to kind of, you know, right the ship and regain consumers' trust? Like, what, what are some of the things that you're thinking about and, and what do you think they need to do? I would say the, the most macro level for uh, some of the platforms that you mentioned, there needs to be transparency in, in, in what they are doing. And I think that that's something that we have seen more and more become a priority over the past several years. People want to understand what's happening with their data, how it's being used or how it's not being used and, and what they can expect from that. And I don't think that any one platform disbelieves that. I think everyone realizes that that's what needs to happen moving forward. The question is, is how well can they be uh, stewards of that, that mantra to make sure that people truly understand what it is that's happening with their data? And so, I, you know, we, we see this happening. We see, we see, we see a, lot of, a lot of talk about this. But at the end of the day, it really is communication, education, and information. If people have the communication channels and are able to and, and pay attention to those communication channels, if they're educated on how everything works and what the benefit they get from it is, and if they're informed when any change happens within that space, then there, there, there shouldn't be a problem because, because everyone knows what's, what's happening and, and nothing's a surprise. 
just like anything else in life, when you're caught off guard or when you're surprised by something or when you get something you didn't expect, it creates an adverse reaction. And that very much aligns with, with your question. And I think the more that platforms can be at the forefront in creating transparency, education, and sharing information, the better off they will be. So when you think about when you think about the future, I ask this question, it's sort of a bit of a two-part, and I ask this, this question of, of most of the guests on the show. So when you think about the future of the category that you're in right now, the sort of the direct-to-consumer on-demand space, like what are you what are you most excited about in regards to the category? And then outside of the category that you're in and and but but still in regards to sort of technology innovation what what are some of the things that you're you're super excited about and and spending time thinking about the thing that i'm most excited about in our category is that people are now going to be able to get anything they want whenever they want it on demand that sounds very basic but actually that is a huge step in a new direction and I think that being able to being able to deliver on that promise is is massive and just something that's that's super exciting both for me as an individual, me as a consumer, me as a dad. Uh, that's exciting for me, but I also think that's exciting for our category. More broadly, the thing that I'm most excited about within with brands that are are, are working direct direct to consumer now is that there's a channel to do so. This, this would have been possible. The brands that are out there who are, who are killing it, the Caspers of the world, right? Away, luggage, like the brands who are doing this really well, that wasn't even possible a few years ago because you didn't have the channels and the engagement and the ability to do that in a way that would actually drive scale and allow you to build a business. And now that's possible. I think that you'll see more and more brands tackling the fundamentals of challenger brands or tackling the fundamentals of direct-to-consumer brands to build their business and evolve their business in new ways. Look, you see some of the largest brands in the world in some of the most traditional categories like CPG adopting some of these fundamentals and getting into this space because they know that there is such value in being able to interact, take feedback, iterate, evolve, and reship something to consumers in a way that is much more nimble, agile, and fast. It's a great way to uh, to wrap up the conversation. Eric, I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much, as always, for your continued support and, and participation in Social Media Week. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for listening to Leads to Scale, a podcast from Social Media Week. Leads to Scale is edited and produced by Al Manorino. For the latest news and insights, or to learn more information about how to get involved with future Social Media Week events, please visit socialmediaweek.org.